What are you doing here this morning? My word, are you trying to earn your way to heaven? There's, you know, I was telling the praise team if we were a liberal church, we would be home this morning curling up by the fire. Uh, all the liberal churches are out today, and all us conservatives, we're here. So uh, I'm glad to see you. I'm glad you made it. I hope you get back home safe and sound. Well, last week I started a new series called Let's Encourage One Another. Now, to catch up those of you who were not here because of the weather, I, I said, you know, I've never heard anybody say, no more encouragement, please. I've had it up to my ears with encouragement. No, I, you don't hear that. We are all dying to be encouraged, and we never get enough encouragement. And last week I said, remember, we come here to focus on one another and to practice thoughtful encouragement. And we don't want to be a lazy church that doesn't cheer each other on toward love and good works. So today we're going to talk about no discouraging words here. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, we are grateful to be here this morning. And Father, the truth of who you are outweighs anything that we're facing this morning. You're good. You are redeeming. You're in love. And let us never lose sight of who it is that walks with us even when darkness and doubt and discouragement tries to confuse us. Help us to always fix our eyes on the reality that you are love and that you love us deeply. And may this series help us to love as you love and to be as compassionate as you are. And may this series help us to see I matter to you, but do others matter to me? Now pour through me the gift of preaching. Take these human words and use them to speak to us today and give each of us just the message you want us to hear. And we pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. The lady that you see on the screen is Jean Nychich. Jean uh, attempted to try to gain control of her weight. She enrolled in a weight program sponsored by the New York City Board of Health, and she lost 120 pounds. Amazing. But she had 50 to go, and she was discouraged, and her motivation began to wane. So she had an idea. She called six of her friends over to her house, who all trying to lose weight, to talk about trying to lose weight when you're discouraged about the diet. She invited them over to talk about strategies that would help them to stay on their diet. That was in September of 1961. Mrs. Nychitz founded Weight Watchers in 1963. She sold Weight Watchers in 1978 to the Heinz Corporation for $71.2 million. Today, 
Weight Watchers revenue is one billion three hundred and seven million dollars. One billion three hundred and seven million dollars. Eighteen thousand employees in thirty countries, and in any given week, there are forty thousand people meeting in Weight Watchers meetings. Jean was asked in an interview why she was so successful and why Weight Watchers worked so well. And this is what she said in the interview. When I was a teenager growing up in Brooklyn, I would go to the parks where the mothers would bring their children. The mothers would be so busy talking to each other, they didn't notice that their children couldn't get the swing going. I would go over and give a child a push. Do you know what happens when you give a child a push? Pretty soon he is pumping and kicking his legs and swinging himself. That's my role in life. I'm here to help others get their swing going. I'm here to help others get their swing going. Now there's a sermon in there somewhere. And here it is. Before Jean Nietzsche started Weight Watchers, there were no support groups in America. Today, there are support groups for anything or any issue you can think about. If you have corns on your feet, there is a support group for you somewhere. If your grandfather was a hypocrite and you need to talk to somebody about it, there is a, there is a group somewhere in this country that uh, will help you. America is desperate to find a place where they can get encouragement. And God has designed that place, and it is called the church. And the church is the place where people ought to come and hear encouraging words instead of discouraging words. Our anchor text for this uh, series is Hebrews 9, 10, 19 through 25. But I only want to read verses 23 through 25. Look at the screen. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Here we go. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And then let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, America is desperately seeking an encouraging word. And maybe that's why one of the most popular TV shows of all time had one of the most popular themes of all time. Take a look. Making your way in the Today takes everything you've got Taking a break from all your worries Sure could help a lot Listen Wouldn't you like to get away? Listen. Sometimes you want to go Where everybody knows your name And they're always glad you came Play it all. 
Now, that is the theme song to what? Some of you, I thought some of you would say, Norm! (laughs) Listen to the words of this. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Amen? Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Amen? Wouldn't you like to just sometimes turn your brain completely off and nothing, nothing was there. Just completely, well, Joyce says that to me a lot. But, <laughs> but wouldn't you like to just turn it off sometimes? Wouldn't you like to get away? Whoa. Now listen to this. Sometimes you want to go to a place where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. You want to go where you can see that people are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Now that ought to be the theme song of the church rather than the theme song of a bar. Because that, my friends, encapsulates what the church is about. The most popular place, (laughs) it's sad, but the most popular place in America where Americans go to get encouragement is the bar. Now, I suppose uh, the reason is that they sell alcohol, but you could drink alone at home. You can drink at home. Two Christian authors, you may think this is heresy, two Christian authors, Bruce Larson and Keith Miller, in one of their books said this, the neighborhood bar is possibly the best counterfeit there is to the fellowship Christ wants to give his church. It's an imitation, dispensing liquor instead of grace, escape rather than reality. But it is a permissive, accepting, and inclusive fellowship. It's unshockable. It's democratic. You can tell people your secrets, and they usually don't tell others or even want to. The bar flourishes not because people are alcoholics, but listen to this. But because God has put into the human heart the desire to know and be known, to love and to be loved, so many seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. With all my heart, I believe that Christ wants his church to be a fellowship where people can come in and say, I am sunk, I'm beat, I've had it. Alcoholic Anonymous has this quality, and our churches often miss it. Wow. The author says, God has put into the human heart the desire to know and to be known and to love and to be loved. And he's right. And people will find some way to find encouraging relationships. And I believe that the writer of the Hebrews is talking about telling the church that the church is to be that divinely appointed support group to meet each other's needs. Listen to what he says. Let us not give up meeting together as some, as, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Now, for years, I completely misunderstood that text. I thought it was saying, don't miss church. That's not what it's saying. The thought isn't encourage each other to go to church. The thought of the text is that we ought to go to church to encourage 
one another. I thought growing up, if you went to church on Sunday morning, and at Christian church, you know, we always took communion. If you listened to the sermon, and that was hard as a teenager to listen to the sermon, because usually there was one pretty girl sitting beside of me, and it was very hard, you know, to keep your mind on what the preacher was saying. And uh, I was at first church one time, I said in a sermon, you, you become what you think. You will become what you think. This teenage boy came down to the front to see me after church. He said, LD, did, did you say this morning that you become what you think? I said, yes. He said, well, I'm going to become a girl then. <laughs> but that is not what the verse is saying. The verse says, go to church so we can encourage each other. Yes, when we gather to worship God, but we also gather to meet one another. And when we come in here, we ought to encourage each other. Encouragement means that you just come along beside of someone and lift them up and say good things to them and encourage them. And to give them a shove to get their swing going. Because there's a lot of people sitting there swing and it's not going. Let's start with this. Encouragers say no to self. Are you with me? Encouragers say no to self. Now, why is it that we do not encourage others? We've been trying to say that people matter to God. And that is a great principle to build your life on. That people matter to God. There is another principle that a lot of people try to build their life on, and that is, I matter to me. I matter to me. Now, which one of those that you build your life on will greatly influence what you do when you come to church? Do people matter to God, or do I matter to me? And we all struggle with this selfish attitude, don't we? We all struggle. And a lot of people come to church with the idea, people should minister to me. People ought to minister to me when I come to church. And that's the only reason that they come. Well, let me ask you, why do you come to church? Why do you come to church? Is it only for yourself and your needs? Or do you come to minister to one another? See, the paradox of Christianity is that self-fulfillment comes from self-denial. And boy, that is hard. We go to church, or should go to church, or come to church, to give more than we receive. And that's not easy. Saying no to ourself is a lifelong struggle, is it not? It's not easy to teach a me generation to think in we terms, but it is absolutely necessary if we're going to be encouraging people. So encouragers say no to self. Encouragers also say no to cheap grace. I, I, I wish I'd have used another term there, but uh, let me try to explain it. Encouragers say no to cheap grace. And I say that because, the t remember last week, 
we, we said before we can encourage each other, we have to be reminded of what Jesus has done. And that's what I mean by saying no to cheap grace. Cheap grace is not recognizing what Jesus Christ has done. Look at Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Look at the screen. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and living way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty conscience, for our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Now, all that the author is saying is that the motivation to encourage one another came from two truths that we learned last week, for those of you who are not here. Two truths. The motivation for encouragement comes because Jesus has permanently opened the way to God. He died, the curtain was torn too. We have a way to God. And then that Jesus warmly welcomes us into his presence. A lot of times we don't feel like it. He does, but he does. He warmly wants us to come into his presence. A church's action is determined by its doctrine. Your belief determines your behavior. Would you agree with that? And the writer is saying the practice of encouragement should be our response to God's amazing grace. Look what he says in verse 24. In response to all that he has done, God... God has done for us. Let us outdo each other in being helpful and kind to each other and in doing good. Our desire to encourage one another should be motivated by God's transforming grace. Folks, the cross is the best defense against self. It is the best defense against cheap grace or any other problem that keeps us from encouraging one another. I challenge you, when you come to church, you're not just coming here for your individual reasons. They are legitimate. I will give you that. But you should come with the intention of helping someone who needs a push to get their swing going. All right, let's do a little review. Look at the screen. Encouragers say no to self. We say no to cheap grace. We say yes. I should have said we say yes to, to God's grace would have been better. But let me tell you how to do this. Encouragers say yes to attending church. Encouragers say yes to attending church. No church can maintain a high degree of enthusiasm unless the family takes getting together seriously. If you don't take it seriously, we'll not have a high degree of encouragement here. Now, I don't know about you, but being here with you is such an encouragement to me. When we sing together... And uh, folks, you should appreciate the music. I go to some places. Whoo! You, 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 you're blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed. When we pray together, 
When somebody makes a decision for Jesus, whoo! And to see somebody baptized before the service, I'm already charged. See, all of these remind me of what I can build my life on. I want you to look at the screen. This is my favorite scholar and author, John Stott. Now, we have some folks here from First Church, and they know all about John Stott because I can't preach without. John Stott's my associate pastor. And uh, John Stott is my favorite author and scholar. He wrote 60 books. He pastored All Souls Church in London for 25 years. He was in such a demand as a speaker around the world that finally he resigned from his church after 25 years, but he still maintained his connection with the church for 50 more years. He was single. He lived in a two-room flat behind that was connected to the church building. If you want to compare his ministry with somebody, you have to compare it with Billy Graham. He was just as effective in his ministry as Billy Graham. He went all over the world speaking to colleges and university students. And he was one of the best preachers that you will ever hear. And he was one of the best scholars of all time. I wish I could tell you more about him and how much he has meant to Christianity around the world. He was being interviewed. And this was late in his life. He lived to be 91. This was late in his life, and he was being interviewed, and the interviewer asked him, when do you feel more alive? And John Stott said, spiritually speaking, I think I would have to say public worship. I think I know what it is in public worship to be transported above and beyond myself into a world of ultimate reality with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. And I think there is almost nothing that convinces me more of the reality of God than public worship when a congregation, with a congregation, one is lifted to heaven. Folks, I want to tell you, there is a dynamic in corporate worship that you cannot find in private worship. Now, if you knew me very well, you would know how much, how much I practice and how much I believe and getting alone with God every day. Every morning, I get down in my little study and spend time alone with the Bible and let God speak to me and I speak to Him. And I would not make it, could not have made it this far without that. And that's very important. But there is something about the family getting together before God that I regularly need. John Stott said, And I think there is almost nothing that convinces me more of the reality of God than public worship. And I agree wholeheartedly with it. Now, however, there is another side to coming here. We don't just come here to receive. We come here to give. We can meet God in private. But we can only meet each other as a church family when we come here. John Stott goes on to say, and remember the question was, when do you feel more alive? He went on to say, I think another and quite different one would be in terms of human friendships. I am grateful to have many friends and very grateful to have the opportunity to enjoy their friendship and to do things with them. You see what Stott does? He covers both bases. 
attending worship, and the encouragement of being with our friends. Encouragers see this family gathering as a constant opportunity to help to get each other's swing going. All right. Encouragers say yes to attending church, and encouragers say yes to being more sensitive. The key to encouragement is not technique. It is being sensitive. It's being sensitive. You've heard me say it. I've been here long enough. You've heard me say it before. Joseph Parker, the great preacher in England, used to say there's a broken heart on every pew. And it is. There's a broken heart in every row. But you see, (laughs) when we come to church and we ask people how they are doing, they are fine. We say, fine, 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 fine. And that's a big lie. You may have fought the kids all morning trying to get them dressed and out of the house for church. You may have fought with you and your wife all the way to church in the car. But when you pull the car in the parking lot and you get out and you walk in the door and someone says, How are you doing? We're fine. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. We're fine, fine, fine. And that's a lie. Somehow we have taught ourselves that the church is for fine people. And if you're not fine, go home and get fine. And when you get fine, come back. And that's a lie. That's a lie. We know that's not true. There are some people this morning here. I don't know all of you. There are some people here this morning that are going through hell. And they are not fine. Now some will come out and tell you. Some will hint at it. But others will put that great big smile on their face and that plastic spirituality and say, We're just fine, brother. Fine, fine, fine. And all the while, they are just dying on the inside. If we watch our heart, then we will be sensitive to the opportunities to affirm our brothers and our sisters. All right, to be encouragers, are you with me? To be encouragers, say yes to attending church. Say yes to being sensitive. And to be an encourager, say yes to letting God help you. Say yes to letting God help you. And I hear people say, oh, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what. You may not know what to say. But when we gather here, You know what I believe? I believe our God is big enough and will empower you to be his instrument to encourage one another. If you'll just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to church. I really won't know what to say to people, but you help me. I believe that God will give you the thought. I believe he will even give you the look. I believe he will give you the touch that people need for that day. Now, here's a, here, 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 this is, let me go a little side street here. Never underestimate the value of prayer 
as an encouragement. When somebody talks to you or, you know, never underestimate the value of praying with them. My friend Don Locke at First Church, who's an elder at First Church, when Don Locke came to us from the West Coast, I thought he was the strangest man in the world. He kissed everybody. I called his preacher, his former preacher. I said, who is this guy that you've sent to me? Don Locke is absolutely one of the greatest men and their first church people here. He's one of the sweetest, greatest guys that you will ever, ever meet. One of the most loving. He, Don Locke has the gift for evangelism like nobody I have ever seen. He's such a sweet man. He taught me to pray with people when you talk to them. And, and, and then in a vestibule when people would say, I need to talk to you. Well, pray with them. Pray with them right there. You know what we normally do? I'd say, well, I will pray for you. And I forgot. I forgot about it and then felt guilty the next time I saw him because I forgot to pray for him. So now, if it's fable, I just stop and pray with him. I just stop and pray with him right there. Don Locke has taught me that. It's wonderful. I was going... (laughs) I was going into Sands one day, and there was a family from the church that was right ahead of me, and I caught up with them, and I knew what was going on with them. They were just having a terrible time. So I stopped, and I said, how are things going? And what's going on? And they told me. I said, is it getting any better? And, and we talked about it, and I said, well, let's just pray. So we formed a little prayer circle right there at Sands, and we prayed. They went on their way no sooner than another family from the first church walked in right behind them, and they caught up with me, and they said, L.D., so, and I knew this family was really going through hell. I mean, it was awful. So we gathered in a little circle. I said, what's going on, guys? Is it getting any better? Is there anything I can do to help you? And so we formed a little circle, and we prayed right there. You know the little woman that checks your card when you come in? She was watching all that. She walked over to me and she said, Mr., who in the world are you? (laughs) I said, I'm just a shepherd who's trying to take care of his sheep. Now, if you cannot do that or are unable to do that, then if you promise to pray for them, pray for them. Now, let me tell you another thing that encourages people. When people call you, won't talk to you about their trouble, pray with them on the phone. Pray with them on the phone. Now, I learned this. (laughs) I learned this the hard way. We. (laughs) What what was that? (laughs) We, We had a neighbor. I loved her dearly. But she would get drunk. And when she got drunk, she started calling me about 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And she called me one morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, and she said, Eldie, I'm so worried. She said, could you come over here and pray with me? Well, I wasn't about to go over there by myself. And I wasn't about to wake up Joyce to go over there with me. Joyce is not real spiritual at 3 o'clock in the morning. So I said to her, I said, tell me what's worrying you. And she told me, and it was legitimate. It was a, don't, don't judge her for getting drunk. If you'd have had her family, you'd have got drunk too. 
And it was legitimate. And she would tell me, and I felt sorry for her. And, 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 I, I, and I said, I tell you what, let's do. Let's just, let's just, let me pray for you right now. And she said, over the phone? She said, would prayer work over the phone? And I assured her that God would hear us anytime we prayed or anywhere we prayed. So I prayed for her. She liked it. It calmed her down. I don't think it sobered her up, but it calmed her down. Now, I did not know what I, would done, what I was doing. When she would get from then on, <laughs> when she would get drunk, she would call me 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Never failed. Every time she got drunk. And she'd say, Heldy, I'm so worried. Well, what are you worried about? She'd tell me. She said, can we have a little prayer phone, a little prayer over the phone? And I would, I would, I would pray for her. And she did that until she died. And uh, I, I, I buried her. Don't, don't judge her. Don't judge her. Encourage her, say yes to attending church. Encourage her, say yes to being more sensitive. Encourage her, say yes to letting God help them. We didn't have the choir this morning, so they gave me their time, all right? <clears throat> Encourage or say yes to speaking to their brothers and sisters. Now, let me ask you, are you a speaking Christian? I don't mean just talking to your friends and your own little group, but do you speak to the stranger? To be encouragers, we must get to know each other and get to know the strangers that walk in here, and that involves talking to them. Why in the world is it so difficult when a guest comes to church for us to go up to them and say, Hello, my name is, welcome to Burlington Baptist Church. We're glad to see you. Is there anything we can do for you? Now, left to ourselves, i tell you what we do. We stay in our own little holy huddles. But the Bible is very specific about commanding us to greet one another affectionately. I served a church that said that, though, I served a church one time, they thought they were the friendliest church in town. They would say that, we're the friendliest church in town. Well, they were to one another. But when a guest came in, Joyce and I would be the one that go over and speak to them. And we had another man, Jerry, would go over and speak to them. But everybody else was in their little holy huddles, enjoying each other's company and ignoring the guest. I hope that doesn't happen at Burlington Baptist Church. I, I hope you don't let that happen here. Don't, don't, don't just get involved in your little holy huddles. See a stranger. Speak to them. Well, church can happen when we speak to each other in the parking lot, out there in the vestibule, can't say pews anymore, in rows, in the halls, in Sunday school, out at the coffee area, just as much as it's happening right now. Church is when brothers and sisters speak encouraging words to each other and help them get their swing going. The night I graduated from Johnson University, 
Errol Harris, a fellow student, came over to where I was eating supper. And he sat down beside me and he said, LD, I want to tell you something I've never told you before. He said, do you remember that time in summer camp when we washed pots and pans together for a whole week from breakfast, dinner, and supper? We washed pots and pans. He said, I had just returned from the Navy and I didn't know what God wanted me to do. And for that whole week, we washed pots and pans together. And I want you to know that those conversations caused me to be here and train for the ministry. And I've never told you that. And before you graduated, I wanted to tell you, and I thank you. I had no idea what we talked about over those pots and pans. But isn't it amazing how God can use conversations over pots and pans to make a difference? God can use conversations out there in the vestibule, in these rows, in the halls, in the Sunday school rooms, in the parking lot, to make a difference. So let's make Burlington Baptist Church a place where encouraging words are always spoken and never is heard a discouraging word. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that every week we can be together. And it's so refreshing and so encouraging to be with the church family. But help us to honor you as we go and honor your word and your intention to not be just a bunch of people who just can't wait to get out of here and go our way. But help us to think about Jesus and the cross and let's be motivated by his amazing grace to live lives like others really matter to you and to us. Thank you for the Burlington Baptist Church family. Thank you for the love that's in this family. Thank you for the encouragements in this family. And some here are struggling with their hurts. Help us to be sensitive to them. And some need to come today and come to Jesus and join this family and be placed in your divine support group. For all these we pray in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Today if you would like to come and be a part of God's forever family.